a joy to be with you all this morning. Being a husband now for almost four years has required a lot of growth in many areas, one of them namely being in handiwork. And I don't mean handiwork as in what the term usually means. I mean it in like the most normal things you do when you move into a house. I'm talking like not the things that you put Carhartt on for, but I still put Carhartt on for. I'm talking like Ikea furniture, talking assembling my son's crib, hanging up curtain rods multiple times and putting up blackout shades, all of which on them, I have my signature, a small mess up. Literally everything I've ever built, anything I've ever put up, a small mess up. It's still functional. Yes, it works, but you can clearly see it wasn't perfectly done, and it kills me. It kills me every single time, but perhaps I do it to myself. I try to speed run the project. I'm like, I'm not a handyman. I need to get this done, and then I'm surprised at the end when it wasn't done well, or maybe I just missed the opportunity with being a handyman, just not starting until I was 25, but every time, signature mess up by Austin. It's functional, but it's never perfect. And you see, this is the reality for the Jews that were living with the law that the author of Hebrews is writing to. They're considering going back to the old ways with the old covenant, though it was never perfectly sufficient. It was functional to a degree, yes, but it never could perfectly suffice. And so, they had to do the same sacrifices again and again and again. So the author of Hebrews, he's calling the Jews out of the old ways and into the new, out of the exhaustion of religion and into the grace of Jesus, that which is actually sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Today, we're going to be discussing that by the atoning work of Christ, we don't need to succumb to the exhaustion of religion, but get to live into the reality of grace. And I will make the case that living into the reality of grace and walking in holiness will provide the most freeing life, not the easiest life, but the most freeing life as we embrace freedom in Jesus. Let's go to God's word. This is going to be out of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 to 18. If you need a Bible, you can raise a hand. Usher will bring one to you. If you have your Bible, book of Hebrews is like 90% into the Bible for reference. The words will be up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all. It would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. 
Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. By that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Will you pray with me, church? So Jesus, we're grateful for the freedom that is in you. And I pray after having gone through your word and the implications of it, we will embrace that freedom all the more so. In your mighty name, amen. So the author of Hebrews is reminding their audience that the law that they want to return to, it's only a shadow of the good things that are to come. They're chasing this shadow and they're missing out on the glory of the sun. You see, they're operating from an inaccurate reality. As many people were on Wednesday night at 9 p.m., we were as Branch's youth at Corona Del Mar having our beach day. We were there from 2 to 9 p.m., and we had fun in the sun, and then we ended it with worship, message, s'mores, small groups, and then we peaced out. And as we were cleaning up at the end of the night, around 9 p.m., I look off into the sky and see this object flying with this trail of red light behind it. I'm like, what on earth is that? And then I start hearing all across the beach murmurs of, what is that? What is that? What's going on? People are taking out their phones, taking photos, taking videos. And then I start to lean in. I'm listening. Like, what are the people saying? And I'm hearing people say, I think it's a shooting star. I think, is that a meteor? And then I hear, it's Jesus. He's flying. That was the best one. I like that one a lot. Unfortunately, it was only SpaceX launching 15 Starlink satellites. It would have been way cooler if it was Jesus flying. Now, depending on how you interpreted what you saw, you would act a certain way. If it was a shooting star, perhaps you would make a wish. If it was a meteor, perhaps you would say a prayer that you don't die. And if it's Jesus flying, praise the Lord most high. Hallelujah, God. How one interpreted what they saw determined how they reacted. And similarly, how the Jewish audience interpreted the atoning work of Christ determined how they reacted. They didn't see it as sufficient. They were operating from an inaccurate reality, and so they went back to the law. They went back to their old ways. They decided it wasn't enough for them. And the author states, you're just looking at the shadow of the glory that's to come. You are missing it. And the author goes on to discuss the exhaustion that comes with religion. Look at the terms he uses. It can never, same sacrifices, repeated endlessly, year after year, 
annual reminder of sins. Day after day, the priest stands and performs again and again, offers same sacrifices which can never take away sins. It's exhausting reading that. You might have felt exhausted after I said all that. It reminds me of cleaning my baby boy's high chair. He is eight months old, and now he is eating solid foods with his two teeth that he has. He loves eating sweet potato wedges, blueberries, toast, and avocado. Avocado, the bane of my existence. Reason being, the avocado is placed before him, smashes it, and spreads it, and it is so hard to clean. Like, if you let that sit for like 20 minutes, it has become one with the high chair. So after Rumi, my son, is done eating, I get to work. And this is accomplished with a podcast in here and some elbow grease. And I'm scrubbing, and I'm scrubbing, and I'm scrubbing. I'm taking off certain parts of the high chair. I'm finding new places to scrub. I'm becoming impressed with my son that he got food under the high chair. My son's impressive. What a prodigy. And the reality is every time I clean it, I have this thought, I'm just going to do this again. I'm just going to do this again later today. Or if it's nighttime, I'm like, I'm going to go to sleep, wake up, Time to do it once again. It's a continual process. Day after day, again and again, I literally stand, I perform. And for those wishing to return to the old ways, it's the same. It's this exhausting process. It's never ending. It's going to have to happen again. To the author, it's, it's wild that they'd want to go back to their old ways. That's hard for them to grasp. John 19.30, it's finished. You don't need to do this anymore. It's already been atoned for, tying into verse 18. Where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now, I want you to notice the contrast between the old way and the new. Let's look at verse 12. But when this priest, being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He was chilling at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And I added he was chilling. That's not in the NIV. But that sounds a lot more effective, right? All time, one sacrifice. He sits. He waits. And that last line is really good. He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. This is the power of our kingly priest. So you can see the difference between the old way and new. It's a, it's a stark contrast from the old way, so exhausting, and the new way that is in the Lord's rest. Eugene Peterson, he famously paraphrased the Bible. It's called the Message Translation. And his paraphrase of Jesus' words in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30 are pretty cool. He writes, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is what Jesus is calling us into. Out of striving, out of self-justification, and into his unforced rhythms of grace. Now, for us today, we might not have the desire to return to the old ways, to the old covenant, but how might we 
be in this continual cycle of self-justification? How might we be trying to validate ourselves as worthy human beings? It could be us trying to justify ourselves through religious legalism. It could be through political views. It could be through being outwardly spiritual. We may apply other things, things other than the grace of God, making them into idols and having the assumption that they will sufficiently justify us. While the author of Hebrews, he's been running circles around this idea. It's all Jesus. Jesus alone justifies us, makes us holy. His sacrifice is final. It's enough. We don't need to justify ourselves. We've been justified in Christ. You're already validated as precious in God's eyes for what's been done, not on anything you could do. So instead of seeking ways of self-justification, we should be instead propelled into a posture of worship, of gratitude. The sacrifice is final. Praise God should be led into a posture of surrender, not of striving. We are enough because Jesus is enough for us. But now we submit to him rather than trying to justify ourselves. And there's so much freedom in that. We see the author then draws the heart of God from Psalm 40. We have it in our text today as verses five through seven. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So it's not the sacrifices. It's not the offerings that God desired, but it was a heart for him, a heart obedient to him, that which was found in Christ. God, he didn't ask Jesus to do the animal sacrifices, to do the offerings, but desired obedience that which would lead specifically to him giving his body and sacrifice. And the author notes that Jesus has fulfilled that call and has extended that fulfillment to us. And now we live in that same reality. We have that same call. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse one, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And with this text, Paul is using temple language, leading the audience to think about a worshiper coming with an offering. And this isn't a sin offering. This isn't what you would offer to be reconciled with God. Rather, it's a burnt offering. It's distinct. One that is offered to show your absolute commitment to God. It's a way of saying, God, all that I have is for you with no reservations. Then notice the verbiage from the text, living sacrifice. What's that supposed to mean? You see, this phrase, it's deliberately paradoxical as sacrifices were typically dead. So what's a living sacrifice? You see, what this phrase is trying to convey is that we are to be continually in the rhythm of dying to our own interest and living for God. You see, this is what a heart for God looks like. And that's what God wants. God wants our heart. And this remains true today after the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. The sacrifice has, has been made. It is finished. Now God wants our hearts. And how are we doing with that? How are we doing with giving our hearts to God? Are we just dicing it up and distributing it elsewhere? 
You see, it's so easy to get caught up with the religion of making it, especially in Orange County. It could be getting the job, buying the house, getting all the latest toys, retiring by 28 or 38 or whatever it is. You see, Orange County, in a sense, has become its own religion. And mind you, all those things I mentioned aren't bad things. They're good things. They're like pretty sweet things. However, it's easy for good things to become lowercase g God things. It's easy for good things to become idols. It's easy for them to be the very things that get in the way of relationship with God. So have we given God our hearts or simply our Sundays, simply brief moments? And how we determine whether or not we've given God our hearts is often by where our minds wander off to. And here's what I mean. When you have those down moments, when your day is quiet, maybe it's in between things, and you're not thinking about anything particularly, where does your mind wander off to? Is it lack in Orange County? Or is it abundance in the kingdom of God? Is it what we want? Or is it all that we already have in Christ? You see, God wants our hearts. So we need to cast off the idols that we have. For the Jews, it was the law that was getting in the way with relationship with Jesus. For us, it could be any worldly ambition because truly, these idols, they have a firm grip on our hearts and our identities will end up getting fully wrapped up in them rather than in Christ and it will cause long-term detrimental effects. Similar to an experience I had the other day, my car got cheesed. And you may have no idea what that means. I didn't know that was a thing, but I saw a square of cheese on the top corner of my car, and then I Googled trend of throwing cheese at cars, and the videos were hilarious, and it happened to me. And I want you guys to know I'm purposefully sharing this at main service and not at youth service. I'm trying to spare all the cars in Huntington Beach. I'm entrusting you with this information. Do what you will with it. But it happened to many cars on my street, so I didn't feel specifically targeted. And again, I thought it was hilarious. But unfortunately, I noticed it, and I really had to go. Like, I was in a hurry, so I just drove off. And then by the time I was able to go through a car wash, I went through, and it was still there. It was completely hardened. Just a mobile grilled cheese sandwich is what my car became, and I ended up having to scrape it off. And just as the time went by that I neglected cleaning off my car caused long-term effects, so does holding on to idols and neglecting being cleansed by the grace of Jesus causes long-term detriment. Yes, it is never too late to give Jesus back lordship over our lives. And yes, we are never too far from the grace of God. But I don't want to shy away from the fact that there will still be negative effects to holding on to idols above God. Continuous disappointment, lack of confidence, lack of peace, comparison to the utmost, all that which comes from giving things other than Jesus lordship over our lives. We need to choose to give God our hearts, to be formed by him first and foremost, as we see modeled in the life of Christ. In verse seven, then I said, here I am. I have come to do your will, my God. And how do we do that? We live with him. As Brother Lawrence once said, 
that we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him, that it was such a shameful thing to quit his conversation, to think of trifles and fooleries. And I know you all woke up this morning thinking, man, I'm overthinking of trifles and fooleries. But Brother Lawrence, he's noting here that establishing ourselves in God's presence is where we will meet the fullness of life. When we give our hearts to God, our hearts are finally content. Rather than giving it off to the tedious and menial aspects of life, things that do not satisfy, God desires obedience from us. That's where contentment comes from. And that begins with giving him our hearts and our minds, having them set on him, living in prayerful union with him daily, not just before bed, throughout the day, living into the rhythm of the heartbeat of the Father. But why do that? Because it saves us? Because it puts us in right relationship with God, making us holy? No. On the contrary, we see in verse 10, and by that will, that which Jesus fulfilled, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then on the same note, verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect those who are being made holy. So the reality that we're living in today, we have been made holy through Jesus. We are in right relationship with God because of him, set apart for his purposes. There's nothing more we need to do but live into the reality that's already true of us. And now, for some people, they may have trouble accepting this reality. Perhaps you've convinced yourself that you're actually beyond grace, that what you've done in the past might be too much to be forgiven. You might have secrets that you don't even want to share with your closest people. Or perhaps there could be some in the room who aren't a Christian. You're on the fence. You're trying this whole Jesus thing out. You're not quite sure if you would fit in, but the reality is Christ's grace is for all who want it. It is perfectly sufficient for us all. It fits us just right. Similar to another experience I had this week. Truly, I had a coming of age moment. I bought Amazon Basics t-shirts. I have moved on to the next level in my life. And with Amazon Basics t-shirts, you get to do a virtual try-on. What a rush. What an experience I had this Monday afternoon. You put in your height, your weight, your measurements, and they give you the shirt that works best for you. This is not an ad, brothers and sisters. This is an aging millennial talking about his spiritual journey of buying Amazon Basics t-shirts. But you see, just as I gave all the details to get the best fitting shirt, so does God know every detail about us. From the beginning of our lives to the end and every single detail in between, God is mindful of us. And his grace, perfectly sufficient. Fits us just right, right where we're at. And by his grace, he's forming us into who we're becoming in him. Regardless of our past, we've been made holy by the grace of God, that which we can never do on our own. We can never muster up enough righteousness, but Jesus did it for us. All of the weight on God's end. 
as we will see in the final section. The Holy Spirit testifies to us as believers, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. You see, this is the prophetic word God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and it's the reality Christians live into today. I think the last one is a really good reminder for us. I will remember their sin no more. There's no need to feel guilt or shame for what we've done in the past. It is fully and completely redeemed by God. In Christ, past, present, future, you are forgiven. And what's huge for the Jewish audience who were concerned with the doing away of the law is that the law is actually going to be written on their hearts. It's going a step further. It's solidifying the law in their hearts and minds. As Jesus declared in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. And by his atoning work on our behalf, the word of God is written on our hearts and minds. We have the Holy Spirit within us that guide us to the way and the will of the Father. And now I'd like to touch for a moment on the concept of God's word being written on our hearts and minds. It's a reality for us as believers. So how do we live into that reality? What does it look like for God's word to be written on our hearts and minds? Well, to have something that surfaces to our minds often tends to be something that's written on our hearts, something that we have been and are being formed by. The ideal is scripture. The hope is that when you're feeling stressed out, a verse will come to mind. Or if you're ministering to a friend who's feeling anxious, you get to encourage them to cast their anxieties on God because he cares for them. Or maybe you have to make a decision or there's a, something you have to do with keeping good integrity. The, the hope is that verses from the word of God will come to mind. And this is the product of choosing to be formed by the word of God. And how we're formed is through investing our time. For whatever we invest our time into most will end up being what forms us the most. It'll be who we're becoming. And we use this verbiage often, invest our time, to indicate there's going to be a desired outcome of doing so. Just as you invest money, you have a desired outcome to make a profit, so do we invest our time into something for potential gain. And the ultimate result being us being formed by that time spent. So what are we investing our time in? Well, in this day and age, it's commonly whatever is on our cell phones. We're formed by our phones for hours every day. And of course, if you have an iPhone in this room, you may have gotten the notification that your screen time went down 10% this week. Praise God. Now you are considering moving off to the mountains because you love to unplug. Your screen time went down 10%. You weren't meant for the city life. You're going to REI after this to get ready for living in the outdoors. But those three hours a day on your phone, we're still plugged in. And those hours are forming us one way or another. So we must choose to be formed by God's word. We might not have three hours a day for it, but we can make 15 minutes, be it very early in the morning or late into the evening. Have this dedicated, undivided attention with God and just watch what the Lord can do. 
Just watch how the Lord will work. It'll incline you to want to spend all the more time in his presence. We must choose to be formed by God's word every day in the word and memorizing scripture. Be it every couple weeks, or there's not even like a time span. It could be like one a month. And just imagine the effect of that over the course of a lifetime. Like I just got, I had my uh, Edison High School 10-year reunion like recently. I didn't go, but I heard about it. I was like mindful that it, it happened. And I was just thinking like, man, for those last 10 years, if I was memorizing a verse every month for 10 years, that'd be 120 verses in my mind, I just have like 120 Nacho Libre references. Like if I had 120 Bible verses in my head, that'd be huge. We must choose to be formed by God's word each day because if we're not mindful, we're gonna be formed by other things. And with how loud the media is, choosing Jesus is choosing counterformation. I'm not saying we need to be monks and live in a monastery. I'm not saying you have to get off social media. TikTok's hilarious, I'm not on it, but I understand why people like it. I'm not saying we can't watch certain shows on Netflix. However, I am saying that we need to be mindful of what we take in and intentionally choose to be formed by God and his word, having his word be written on our hearts and on our minds. So more than just having this idea in your mind, make a plan. Jesus has made us holy. Show up for that reality. Be in God's word and be formed by it. And along with that, give God your heart by praying often to him, being in this loving conversation. Remember, we're over the trifles and fooleries. Have this loving conversation with him and show up for God. That's so much of the Christian faith. It's showing up to church today. It's Jesus every day. Allow Jesus to be what is forming you most, not the grind of Orange County not the media of our choosing, not any exhausting route, but choose Jesus as he is our high priest. And as the author of Hebrews has been saying over and over again, he's superior to angels, the prophets, and every other thing. There's so much freedom in him. Let's embrace it. So wrapping things up, by the atoning work of Christ, we do not need to succumb to the exhaustion of religion, but get to live into the reality of grace. Brothers and sisters, let's live a less exhausting life. We are enough in Jesus. We have enough in Jesus. So when we choose him as Lord over everything else that is fighting for lordship over our lives, we will then know peace. We will have freedom and we will be living on the trajectory to eternity, life satisfied in God. So let's not be exhausted from religion as we see the Jewish audience was. And let's also not be exhausted from trying to justify ourselves in any type of way. But let's lean into the unforced rhythms of grace in Jesus. Sound like a plan? You guys feel good about it? I feel good about it. That's what I want to do. Will you all stand with me as we pray and go into this time of response? King Jesus, we thank you that you are on the throne. And when you're on the throne of our hearts, everything goes so much better. We declare your lordship over our lives. We exalt you as king and we choose with this time to respond with worship. We look to you and your majesty and want to sing out declarations to our king. So may you give us a heart of gratitude. May you stir within us this desire of surrender and obedience in this time. And may the praises not end here. 
As we're singing out, may it go into the week, but may it begin in this time, Lord God, hearts sold out for you. And we understand in an even greater sense the love that you have for us in this time, and may we respond with worship.